The Athletic. Hello, welcome to the All Seen and Chapman podcast on The Athletic. As well as David, we're joined as usual by Adam Crafton and also with us today, The Athletic's Wolves writer, Tim Spears. Liverpool boss Jurgen Klopp yesterday said, uh, it feels like the season was two years long. I'm surprised, David, he only went with two years and not four or five. Yeah, I think we all feel pretty jaded and it was largely because season 2019 to 20 virtually ran straight into 20 to 21. And with all the restrictions and the lack of crowds for the vast majority of the season and a number of issues around football, uh, it's become weary for a lot of people. But we've been in an extremely privileged position to be able to report and talk about the sport. And it was really refreshing to see fans back in the stadium for the final game. I think our colleague James McNicholas said it almost felt like the first game of the season. And that hopefully gives us a, a nice platform to build on for season 2021 to 22. They have made a difference, those last two games, the fans being in. So some people, Adam, you know, would argue that they have slightly skewed things, actually, depending on the importance of the game. Originally, it was just meant to be the final game of the season, wasn't it, that had fans? And then the clubs kicked up a bit of a fuss and said, well, it's going to be, you know, sporting integrity if, if all these clubs get to have... Uh, if 10 of the clubs have a home game and 10 of the clubs don't have a home game. So we ended up having two rounds of uh, of fans in the stadium, which was good and it was nice. And it felt like a bit like the country over the past few weeks, just this upwards trajectory towards normality. I agree with what David just said about James saying it felt like the start of something rather than the end of something. So yeah, no, sort of very happy the season is over from a wearisome point of view, but also now very much looking forward to August. Of course, if we're talking about, you know, Jurgen Klopp saying it was two years long, talking about, you know, how how long these seasons have felt merged together, how weary some people are. As part of your article, Tim, on what's happened at Wolves and with Nuno, just the exhaustion of coming to the end of the cycle appears to come through in that article. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you know, you talk about two long years. Wolves had a 59-game season last season with the smallest squad in the league and then 30 days between seasons again with such a tiny squad including an international break and they sort of started the season on the, on the back foot really and I spoke to staff at the club who said sort of mental fatigue was at an incredible level on the opening weekend of the season I mean that's just no way to go into it I think that has, has certainly sort of played its role in Nuno's departure I mean he's looked weary this season he sort of lost that energy he's lost that glint in his eye the pandemic's really really weighed heavily on his on his shoulders you know he's he sort of he's a sensitive guy and he sort of took it personally really and that's people will have seen he made a, a, a an unbelievable donation to the city of 250,000 pounds in January and that's he just wanted to do something to help you know it really affected him he missed his family back home in Portugal and I think, you know, with his, they're so big on preparation and um, an organisation game by game, week by week, and the pandemic just, just got rid of that. If you look at where Wolves were when the pandemic started, they were fifth in the Premier League and in the last 16 in the Europa League. And it's all sort of fallen apart slowly since then. And that, that period pre-pandemic Nuno is sort of frozen in time now. You know, fans, they, he, he never got booed off by fans. Ever There was no disgruntlement from the stands. So that universal sort of love that they all had for each other is sort of frozen in time, really, and everything that since then has happened has 
partly contributed to uh, to his exit. I wonder as well whether we, as a as a as a media as a, as a group, have underestimated at times how difficult it has been for foreign managers and foreign players. You know, you mentioned there how difficult Nuno had found it being apart from his family. We've we've heard it every now and then when managers have suffered bereavements, Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, of course. But just the, the daily strain of worrying about your family in in another country. Absolutely, and you know people know that Portugal was was put on the on on the red list around Christmas time, which was when things were at their worst. Really, you know, for, for Wolves and Ruben Neves couldn't go home to to see his newborn baby at that time, and had to watch the birth on video phone on the on the team coach away at Crystal Palace, and couldn't meet his baby for six weeks. I mean. <laughs> The, you can't you can't even imagine how that how that affects someone's sort of professional life. So yeah, it's 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 it certainly got to Nuno. And I remember I remember that the day when they lost to West Brom in, in January when it was sort of at the height of, of the pandemic was back again and he knew he wouldn't be able to get to Portugal for a long time. He looked broken to me and he constantly prowls the edge of his technical area, barking instructions. But for the last 20 minutes of that game, he sat motionless in his dugout clueless I think as to as and helpless as as to how to sort of fix what was going on while sort of lacking this energy and yearning for his family I mean you can't imagine what he's sort of going through and of yeah a very difficult time like I said it's, it's hung heavy on his on his shoulders he's really felt it Tim do you think this is one of the clubs that and managers that feeds most off the crowd and therefore was uh, one of the most affected by the absence of them Connor Cody said that uh, after Sunday's final game, he he said he believes that they've been more affected by that than any than any team. I mean, it's it's impossible to judge that, and I only I only go to Wolves games, so I can't judge elsewhere. But it's certainly made a difference, and I think you can see the before and after, not just in results pre and post pandemic, but in in the style of Wolves' play. People used to enjoy watching Wolves, and they used to play with such energy and vibrancy, and these. You know, they always top the charts for for counter-attacks and, and shots from fast breaks. Uh, that's just not been the case this season. And Wolves have become boring to watch. And I wonder if Nuno's sort of lack of energy is transmitted to the players as well, really. And that 10% they get off the crowd. I mean, they scored a goal on Sunday, which I haven't seen all season, with midfielders busting a gut to get into the box and Nelson Semedo popping up in near the six-yard box and fast movement. And we just haven't seen that all season. And I don't think it was any coincidence there were, there were 4,000 in Molyneux yesterday and uh, and they stepped up their intensity. Was it mutual? <laughs> That's exactly what I said to him yesterday. And he, he obviously went on this pre-prepared spiel um, about how all decisions at the club are, are made together, <laughs> which was interesting. On Friday, when all this broke, I mean, these are the days you kind of live for as a journalist, really. The, the the big days, the sacking days, the big you know the big signings, because you know you know what's happened, and you just get stuck into it, and you try and write a great story. But it was so difficult to decipher exactly what had happened, and I was calling you know reliable contacts and sources who were giving completely contradictory information you know not 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 maliciously but I just think people were confused as to what had gone on in this small circle of Nuno, George Mendes and Jeff Shee. I remember sitting there four hours after it broke thinking what what the hell am I going to write here and I've you know I've seen respected journalists give contrasting wildly contrasting views in, in in reports I think the truth is somewhere in the middle from what I understand it they were very close to sacking him after that West Brom game that I mentioned Foson just cannot afford for this club to be relegated and for all that there were lots of issues out of Nuno's hands this season I think they felt that with the club sleepwalking down the table 
And they were sixth at the end of November when Raul Jimenez suffered his sickening injury. And 11 games later, they were 14th, having won one game, nine ahead of relegation. They were heading in one direction. I understand they came close to sacking him after that game. If Steve Morgan was still the owner, uh, I'm sure they would have done soon as he sacked Mick McCarthy after losing to West Brom at home. I can only assume... And Mendes being in the middle of this is just a ridiculous situation because he's so close to the owners and he's so close to Nuno. And this was always going to come to a head at some point, you know, where do his priorities lie? I can only assume that Nuno's got wind of this, that they're considering letting him go. Because after that game, he completely changed the style. He went back to 3-4-3. He made the football boring again. He made it attritional and he got the results to keep them up. And I suspect he thought his days were numbered. And George Mendes has certainly been talking to other clubs in the meantime, you know, putting out feelers as to where jobs may come up this summer. And then it's come to a head in the past kind of seven days. You know, Wolves will say that they initiated it. But I think I think there's part of Nuno's thinking that he's happy to walk with his reputation intact as well, which is why it's been called mutual consent. And in this case, I think I think there is truth to both sides of that. Adam? David, am I right in saying that Arsenal, he was, you know, one of the guys who was maybe on their long list before uh, Mikel Arteta came in. Yeah, I don't know precisely if he was on it, but he was certainly admired by people around the club, not only at Arsenal. Yeah, I just think it's interesting how quickly our perception of managers can change. And, you know, particularly for those clubs who we think of as, as maybe over, overperforming in some way, which I think Wolves probably have over the last two or three years or so. And then you just have, you know, one bad period really over four or five months. And, and all of a sudden, you know, the jobs that we would consider Nuno for now seem very, very different. You know, we're looking far more at mid-table than, you know, no one's really talking seriously about him with in relation to Tottenham, um, for example. And and I, I understand that. I think where, where I have huge sympathy for him is the injuries they've had in the forward positions with Podence and Jimenez and Neto, uh, lost, Jot- lost Jota, of course, last summer as well. I do have a lot of sympathy, but equally, they've probably been the one team this season who, when they've been on the television, I've made an active decision to avoid them um, because it has been pretty. It's been pretty awful most of the you know most of the games. It's felt like it's going to be one 0 either way, and unless you're a Wolves fan, that's very hard to get invested in. Yeah, I think um, well, the the injuries have have decimated them, and the small squad philosophy's you know fallen apart this season. And Duno, to his credit, admits that that's a failing. He said a few weeks ago, we'll look to address that this summer. I mean, you've, you've got to say in all this that Foson are completely ruthless. The emotion that everyone got swept up in on Sunday afternoon, and it was it was quite something to witness, you know, fans lining the streets in their thousands and, and lighting flares and singing his name for 90 minutes, people in tears, people comparing it to a bereavement, a lap of honour, a, a, um, a guard of honour as well as he left the pitch. It was like he was retiring. That's how it felt, you know. And there's an element in here that Wolves are very, are very happy to let him go. It's just, it's utterly bizarre, really. There's no element of sentimentality with Foson that really isn't. They're so ruthless. And I think that maybe they're foreseeing a, a potential further decline. And there are certainly issues with recruitment as well. Nuno has the final say on transfers and, and they've made mistakes in that area. So, yeah, there are quite a few issues at play. Tim, what do the players make of it, would you say? Because, I mean, just what, I mean, given... The, what the atmosphere was like yesterday and you're saying you know it felt like a bereavement to the fans they were playing against Man United's under 18s whoa 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 Man, Man United's under 18s and Donny and van, der van der Beek given you know the, the situation at the club yesterday and how emotional everyone was it, it just struck me as quite a bit of a damp squib of a performance I, I really expected Wolves to you know to put on a bit of a show for him um, yesterday but it, it just seemed like 
it was much of the same of what we've seen all season. A lot of the players have just fallen off a cliff, Adam. They really have. People like Leander Dendonka, Ruben Neves. It's just two years of non-stop, non-stop football. I think mm. they, uh, they just couldn't rouse themselves. And then, you know, you mentioned the people they're without. And then they lost Traore in the first half yeah. yesterday. So you're without your front your front four players and that they just couldn't quite rouse themselves, which was such a shame. The fan reaction was really interesting to me because, you know, I know I know how much credence the owners give to online reaction and thoughts and Twitter and message boards. And there are, you know, a small but loud number of fans who've kind of peddled the Nuno out. They've been the Nuno out brigade for a few months now. Um, but it's a small number. And I wonder how what the owners was, was Jeff Shear, the chairman was, was thinking yesterday when surrounded by this, this universal sort of loving at, at this manager going. And I wonder if they've, if they've slightly misjudged public opinion because, you know, the vast, vast majority and um, we're still with Nuno and this creates a massive problem next because how do you fill those, those shoes? There's another problem as well. Uh, and, and you mentioned the the sort of recruitment stuff, Mendez's position, and also the fact that you had different sources telling you different stories highlights that really it's a bit of a mess, is it, at the highest level, that the structure is very confusing and maybe not the ideal scenario for a new manager to come into no the structure is weak and I, th- and I think this comes down to what do they want to be as a club you know do they want to be George Mendes's plaything? that's a far simplistic way of, of looking at it and there's more there's more to it than that but you look at their signings last summer they were the vast majority were were, were from Mendes so and there, were, there were a lot of heads of department that have left in the last sort of four years as walls have gone up a lot of heads of department have left. Um, people will know Kevin Thelwell, the sporting director, um, Laurie Dalrymple, the managing director. You've even had the head of medical, the head of the academy. And have they got the expertise now in place to be a proper football club and not just rely on Mendes, who's not going to be there forever? And of course, has many other things to do in his in his life and his job than, than look after the interests of Wolverhampton Wanderers. So they've got a decent foundation there of course they have you know they're 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 an established Premier League club for the time being and they've expanded their recruitment and scouting networks and you know they've got really good philosophies on blood and youngsters and a sort of a Leicester style of bringing in youngsters and selling them on like Jota whose value increased 30 million in three years but they're at a bit of a crossroads now because Nuno brought it all together and I think it's I think a really important point as well to make is the backroom team here also leave and Antonio Diaz has brought in, you know, honestly, world-class methods of rehabilitation and and injury prevention. You know, they suffered five injuries in the whole of 2018-19 and none of those lasted longer than three weeks, which I'd imagine is unheard of. You know, that's what they bring. They've got a mind coach, uh, a professor in psychology who they don't like talking about because he's so good and so important called Julio Figueroa. You know, these guys are all going as well. Ian Cathro. So they're losing a lot. Have they got the structure and the expertise in place to, to to survive now? It's going to be a really interesting summer. It did seem like this was the season where, you know, that relationship with Mendes kind of came back to bite slightly after sort of two or three years of, of it really just being, you know, yes, people outside of Wolves raised their eyebrows and made comments about it and it was scrutinised. But from Wolves' point of view, you know, they got fantastic players in, really good coach, and it all seemed to work out. Last summer, Mendes did a huge amount of business all around Europe which we've spoken about before and it it felt like Wolves last summer just weren't top of his priority list in a way that they may have been the the previous summer so all of a sudden you know Barcelona need to shift the right back 
here's Wolves with a bit of money to give them for Nelson Semedo. He was actually quite good yesterday. But him and, you know, Fabio Silva as well. I mean, I just, you know, I've seen a lot of Fabio Silva and it's reached the stage actually where I just sort of pity him a little bit. The situation that he's been exposed to as an 18-year-old striker, just really out of his depth and being asked to do far too much. And it's still the case, in my opinion, that if Wolves had £40 million to spend last summer, why on earth were they spending it on an 18-year-old striker? when the squad is as, 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 as thin as you said. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, seven, £70 million has gone on Semedo and Silva and, and neither of them have improved the first team. Um, and, and and they brought in a few kids. Keanu Huvo is a great prospect, but, you know, not ready now. Vitinho's 20, Aitnori 19, and Marcel, who's been injured all season. To spend more than £80 million, and, you know, that's not net spend because they, they, they sold about 80 as well. But to spend £80 million on players and not improve your first team, I mean, that's damning, really. And yes, Nuno doesn't play any part in the recruitment, but he does have the final say. And he went big on Semedo. He was his number one target for the whole summer in any position. And they really saw it as part of changing the team's style and the identity to swap Matt Doherty out and bring him in, who can play more on the front foot, more of a technical footballer. But it, it just it just hasn't worked out, and that's definitely been part of their of their thinking. And on top of the recruitment spend, Tim, they're going to have to spend. I didn't realise the size of the staff that will be leaving with Nuno, uh, because didn't he sign a new contract relatively recently around the time of the reported Arsenal interest? Uh, and then there'll be expense about hiring a new manager and set of staff. So it's an absolutely really delicate time, isn't it? Yeah, last September he signed a new a new three year deal. Uh, of course, he insisted all along that he was going to honour that honour that contract. Um, and yeah, um, I, 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 I think we may see a slight switch away from Mendes now and this massive focus on him in terms of recruitment and hiring managers. You know, in the three managers they've they've hired um, since Foson took over, you know, Mendes sort of gave them. Walter Zenger after Julian Lopetegui uh, went for the Spain job at the last minute. I could see Adam smiling there. And yeah, old Walter was a bit crazy. And then uh, after that went wrong, you know, they went to Kevin Thelwell to search for a domestic manager who they thought would be able to um, to work better in the championship. And he and and he, they, that's when they decided on Paul Lambert. And then Nuno kind of was dropped in at the end of the season as someone they thought could take them to the next level. So they've switched between going for Mendes in terms of hiring managers. And I, th- I think the focus, from, from what I'm told, it's not just going to be Mendes presenting a list of three Portuguese managers who may or may not be out of work. You know, there is going to be an actual managerial appointment and interview process here. And there are people they want to speak to. And I've, I've been told they've attracted some some big names uh, in the past 48 hours who've expressed an interest in the job. So hopefully, you know, they're going to look for the, for the best man for the job here. You know, not just the best Portuguese man, um, albeit that's what they may end up with anyway, but we'll see. Do you think Jose Mourinho regrets not waiting? Do you think he would have gone to Wolves? I mean, one of the biggest issues with Wolves has been style of play, and mm. the, and I think for for the for the for for, 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 for for the reasons that Spurs may not be looking at Nuno, then that's mm-hmm. then Wolves may not be looking at Mourinho either. Roma is quite an attractive job, Adam. It is though. Though I don't know how it finished on Sunday, but there was a stage where they were missing out on the. Um, inaugural UEFA Conference League. Does that make him more attractive? I can't, I, I don't know. I'm unsure if more attractive or less attractive, but it's not maybe the huge attraction that Roma may sound like, although they will have next year's... They qualified for it. They finished They qualified. There you go. Well, they've got that and they're also going to be hosting next year's Eurovision. So um, 
Jose <laughs> will have a fantastic year if he makes it that far. I know, David, you just wanted to touch on something else that happened at Molyneux yesterday, going from the ridiculous to the very serious. Well, I think we talked to the top about the beauty of fans returning to stadiums. But Tim, there was a an incident at Wolves that showed the dark side and, and quite frankly, disgraceful uh, incident that occurred. You know, there were two actually, David, and it really put a dampener on the day, actually, you know, but pre-match when the players took the knee for what was a slightly longer period than normal, actually, um, there were noticeable boos and jeers from a section of the crowd. And I found that I found that really surprising. You know, I, I know we've heard it at a few grounds, but, but you know, Nuno has spoken a lot about this subject and said how important it is to, to keep taking the knee. And then you've got players like Kadama Traore, you know, on his knee, who's suffered racial abuse during his career. You know, what must he have been thinking? What must Nuno have been thinking? It was so depressing. And yeah, as you mentioned, there was another incident as well. Rio Ferdinand was sat near the South Bank working on the game for BT Sport. And as he tweeted during the game to the Wolves fan who has just been thrown out for doing a monkey chant at me, you need to be dismissed from football and educated. Wolves were quite swift in the response. I think shortly after full time, you know, that they sort of retweeted Rio Ferdinand said, we're deeply sorry, Rio. This person does not represent our club, our supporters or our values. We can confirm this individual individual has been arrested by West Midlands Police. Yeah, great to have fans back, but but depressing that, that the issues from 15 months ago have just immediately started again, really. Tim, thank you very much for coming on the pod. We will, Cheers, we will talk over the summer, I am sure. Sure we will. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And let's just finish the uh, pod, rounding up some of the stories from your column, David, as the uh, transfer rumours really uh, kick into gear. Now uh, they will run alongside the Euros this summer. And it looks like one of the sagas of the summer will centre around Emiliano Buendia. Buendia is a player who's been heavily linked. And uh, we explained in the column, he, from what we know, is available for transfer that Norwich and Buendia got a great relationship and they recognize which is a key part of Norwich's model bring players in for a low price develop them do well with them and then let them go a, a really good stepping stone you could say and they, and they have reinforcements ready or in their mind to replace them too that this is the right time if they get the right price which is not guaranteed and if they don't then then he'll stay and he'll be a Premier League player with Norwich but the fee is going to be in excess of £40 million there is interest from the likes of Aston Villa Arsenal it's been well documented Aston Villa one of the candidates they might not opt for him in the end they've done a lot of research on him and it would be to play in their mind, with Jack Grealish, not instead of him. They actually play on different sides of the attack, as you know. Uh, and then Arsenal, their top target for that position is Martin Odegaard, who they had in loan, would like to sign permanently. If they don't get him, then they'll consider Buendia. As far as I know, Norwich also had an inquiry last week after Buendia got called up into the Argentina senior squad for the first time from a major club on the continent. I don't know who that is, but it indicates there is going to be plenty of interest. Now, I don't think Norwich will be in a rush. I 
clearly they won't want it to run into next season and towards the transfer deadline. But uh, I think they will want to get the best possible price, but also opportunity for him. Uh, I think many people feel he could play Champions League football, whether it's in England or abroad. So, yes, Emi Buendia, it's one that's going to be talked about a lot. Just to add to the Aston Villa link, he shares an agent with the Aston Villa goalkeeper, Emi Martinez, Ah. as well. So, you know, they've done business over the last 12 months. And obviously, Arsenal also know that agent very well. But I think as well, I mean, I think it feels like a lifetime ago now, but I, I, I interviewed Buendia in before the start of the 2019-20 season when Norwich came up last time with him and his uh, his little boy at home that day. And I think at the time, everyone expected Wendia to do a lot more last time he was in the Premier League and Norwich as a whole. And he didn't really um, manage to turn up. And there was actually quite an extended period of their period in the Premier League where he he just wasn't in um, first in, in starting um, mm. and was, was even dropped from the side. And then last summer, he was keen for a move... Um, Norwich, you know, they wanted to keep him. They wanted him to take them back up. And he's totally responded to that challenge to the extent that, you know, forming the championship has taken him into the Argentina squad, which is hugely impressive. I think there may be some in the Premier League who still have slight doubts about his his ability at that very top level. But certainly, you know, he's shown a lot of character and maturity. Uh, it's interesting you say that, Adam, because I, w- I was thinking last time they were in the Premier League, Norwich, as, as great as Buendia is and as fantastic as a season as mm. he's had, there was a lot more attention the last time they came up on Puki, who got off to a very good start and then mm. and then faded away slightly. Todd Cantwell was was the man who got most of their attention yeah. last time they were yeah. they were in the Premier League. But it does appear that that kind of price range, David, and maybe that kind of of player, there could be various knock on effects with this. You know, you, we talk Buendia, but there's also Joe Willock. There's also Martin Odegaard. You know, I think a lot of Premier League clubs will be sniffing around Mateus Pereira after what he's done in the second half of the season at West Brom. There's a few in that. I'm, I, I'm sure Odegaard might cost more money than all of those, but all in similar positions. There'll be a, and and they could have a knock-on effect on each other. A lot of them. Yeah, and there are plenty of clubs looking for that creative role. There's another player you didn't mention, David Brooks of Bournemouth, who uh, didn't get promoted. And I know a number of clubs are looking at him. That could well be a move, especially with Bournemouth probably in need of finance if the right offer arrives. There are a few other players in the championship, like Reddings, Elise. I'm really intrigued to see how that kind of domino effect uh, works. Also, you know, the the links with Jack Grealish aren't going to go away. There, There are non-stop reports about him and... Manchester City, Manchester United, that could have a direct impact with Villa looking at that creative role as well. It's interesting, Adam, like Buendia, I think he's 24. For his profile and his sort of credentials, you mentioned Argentina as well. Villa have taken players from the championship before in the sense of Ollie Watkins with success. When you're talking about the Harry Canes and the Jack Grealishes of this market, the Kylian Mbappes and so on, I'm not comparing like for like. I'm just saying that Buendia actually might present relatively decent value for money. And, and Norwich know that and they know that with the likes of Max Ahrens with Todd Cantwell as well quite strange that they'd be coming up to the championship but there is an acceptance that for their model you can move on for the right price and that could actually really help this market if it happens clubs are often so scared of losing players but it tends to be the the disorganized clubs who are most scared because you know as we said last week you know Leicester keep selling really good players and keep replacing them um, with players who are either as good or better. So as long as you have, you know, a plan in place for when these players depart, 
that then it should be okay. I think Wendia appeals a lot to Premier League clubs because he's he's almost got this mix of you know the technical skill that you 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 would get from growing up playing in Spain, but he's also got that sort of grit that he brings to the game as well. He grew up playing rugby, actually, as well as football. Um, and you can see it a bit in his build. He's quite stocky. I get why clubs are after him. But Norwich, we, we know that, that you know, they're, 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 they're quite relaxed, as you say, about, about the possibility of losing players because they'll have a plan and the right players coming in. So, you know, I don't think it's one of those things where they've been promoted and, oh my God, they're going to lose their best player and therefore they've got no chance. We saw last time, even if they go down, that they're even quite calm about that because... You know, they're not going to put it all on, you know, trying to get two years consecutively in the Premier League. And Mark mentioned Willock there. It's an absolutely fascinating dilemma for Arsenal ahead. He's scored seven and seven at the end of the season for Newcastle. It's been a really successful loan, which would have been Arsenal's plan. And in normal circumstances, as an academy graduate, you would expect that player to come back in and slot into the team and have a really successful career with Arsenal, which may still be the case. As I understand it, uh, relatively recently, you know, if an offer was to come in for him this summer of 10, 15 million, for example, no chance, wouldn't even consider it. If it comes in for sort of 20, 25 million, then there may be a conversation to have and they really need to weigh it up because they don't know for a fact that Willock is going to work within our Arteta system. Many Arsenal fans will say, yeah, of course he will. Um, it might be that it was perfect for him at Newcastle. There is a potential scenario that he comes back to Arsenal, he gets given the chance that all of the fans seem to want him to be given now and it doesn't quite work and then they bemoan the club for not cashing in for 20 to 25 million and they'll be thinking could we use that resource to get Odegaard because we're convinced that he's in the style already and he's the perfect acquisitions for us I'm sure they'll get him back in for pre-season and 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 then make their decision I don't think there'll be a rush on Joe Willock maybe it's a good problem to have for Arsenal but it's also a, an intriguing one but it's like a baby Lingard situation isn't it uh, yeah. where you know Lingard's gone to, to West Ham done fantastic well there might be a temptation because he's done that well you want to bring that back into your own club I think the will it is there a third option of give him another a whole season on loan maybe actually maybe. And, and just see you know rather than cut your ties within this summer for the sake of 20-25 million the way Arsenal have spent 20-25 million over the last few years wouldn't make me want them to, to necessarily cash in on him at this point so I don't think that would be the worst thing either. Um, also, just for the player, he's clearly someone who has come into his own by playing regularly. Um, and he probably wouldn't get that at Arsenal in terms of that real guarantee of, of regularly starting football matches. I mean, his form's been ex extraordinary, was it? The first player to score seven in a row for Newcastle. Is that right? Uh, since Alan Shearer. Since, since, since Alan Shearer. Yeah, um, it's another... Another one of the old man's records is gone. <laughs> so that's uh, always amusing. Um, we uh, we will end it there. Adam, uh, David, uh, thank you as ever. Thank you to you for listening as well. Don't forget you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. Just go to theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman. And I'm back on Thursday with Matt for the Business of Sport podcast. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman and I'm here to tell you what The Athletic has planned across its podcast network during the Euros. My pod with David Ornstein will become The Athletic's England show throughout the tournament. 
to bring you all the latest news and insight from inside the England camp every single day. Then we'll also have nightly editions of the Totally Football Show, taking a look at all the big talking points from the competition and looking ahead to the next day's fixtures. Now, if you're feeling nostalgic for tournaments past, we've produced an eight-part documentary series that tells some fascinating stories from both on and off the pitch from the last eight Euros. Elsewhere, Michael Cox's Zonal Marking Pod will offer an in-depth tactical breakdown of all the biggest games, while Adam Hurry's Football Clichés show will take a look at the tournament's alternative storylines. So, as this never-ending domestic season finally draws to a close, we'll have plenty of Euro 2020 coverage for you to enjoy as the tournament gets underway in just a couple of weeks' time. 